You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. My volume is like super damn high. I need to turn that down. Well, then do that. I'm not sure how that happened. You know, take an off week and that's just what happens. <laughs> Everything just goes to hell. Let's see if... <laughs> yeah. Certainly did on the field. must make a confession and get something off my chest just for okay the, for, for the good of i guess of the program and and the lsu fan base everywhere that um i have not in fact been wearing my game day t-shirt like i did the entire 2019 season because after the national championship game um well i guess since the national championship game i've lost over 40 pounds and it it's a tent on me now so I had to switch to a different LSU game day shirt. Apparently that one's not working quite the same that it did for last season. So I apologize. Where the tent. <laughs> and with that, it's all Chris's fault. And welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast. We're your host, Poser. That was our producer, Chris, who is, we have now found is the source for LSU losing to Missouri. So there you go. Thanks, Chris. Sure. Uh, with me now, as always, is uh, Max. How's it going? Not well, but I asked anyway. <laughs> See? And the editor of And the Valley Shook, Zach. We're back. Uh, well, back to losing. Oh. Man, it, it takes almost no time for everyone to get really mopey. <laughs> you realize we won a national title like nine months ago. Yeah. <laughs> wow like no credit none no they get credit but like they're burning a lot of credit everyone's upset zach yeah i i'm not in the i mean of course flags fly forever yes but like these games count and do they the, yes kind of. <laughs> as long as they're keeping score they count to me I'm actually writing about it right now. It might be up tomorrow or maybe Tuesday, but this title defense, this is about as bad a title defense as a team has had since the post Cam Newton Auburn 2011 Tigers. I mean, this is, it's pretty bad. And yeah, be them. worst part is there's still a long way to go. This might only get worse. Yeah. This was the this easy was part of the easy. schedule. Yeah. You still got to go to Florida. You still got to go to uh, A&M. You got to go to Auburn. You still got to play Bama. And yeah, we, yeah. Are we sure they're going to beat Ole Miss? Are we sure they're going to beat Arkansas? I'm not. 
Are we sure we're gonna, they're going to lose the Florida and Auburn and AM? Are we sure yes. they're any good? Have you sure. watched the rest Nobody, of the SEC? Everybody yeah, looks Nobody's good. So they're going to lose to Florida. Are they? The, the, yes, they're not. Here's the thing. Realistically speaking, and I may be totally wrong about this because look, who knows? It's 2020. Things can change in a week. Who knows? Whatever. But they may need to put up 56 points to even tie. And they're not doing that. I know Florida's defense is bad. They're still not doing it. Florida's defense is bad. And look, this is what people were saying after the Troy game. And the turnaround game after Troy was Florida. Yeah, but they won by one against a team that went four and eight. Like, that Florida team was terrible. That was Felipe Franks' first year. That was the I, that was that was the year Jim McElwain got fired. I, I just I don't think I don't think Florida's that good. Their defense is awful. And yeah, their defense is awful. But the, here's the thing: they have one of the best offenses in the country statistically right now. And I mean, A and M barely beat Vanderbilt. They needed a lot of help. And if that game's played in a full stadium, they may be lose that game. And then Florida turns around and loses to an A&M team that did not look good at all. Are we sure that Florida's done anything? Yes, because, I mean, they've the they've put up kind of an – if we're comparing the defenses apples to apples here, they are pretty close statistically. But Florida has played Ole Miss, whose offense is obviously really good. It's I mean, Bama didn't play well defensively, but they ripped them. And – while Texas A&M isn't great, they still put up, like, I think they put up over 400 yards in Alabama. I know a lot of it was in garbage time, but, like, there's at least enough talent on the Texas A&M team that they can catch fire in a game and, you know, produce. We've seen that a few times. We saw it. We saw Kellen Mond do it to LSU in 2018 when LSU had a top-five defense in S&P. So it's not the same as Mississippi State, who just got shut out by Kentucky— and Missouri, who's starting a triple option high school quarterback for in his first game as a starter, his first full game. And, and look, I think he's good, but... I don't know. There's don't, a, I think you're going with a lot of certainty don't in a season where we know nothing bad. about anybody. Like, saying... I mean, just everybody's looked bad. I, I mean, right now, yeah, LSU would have to be an underdog. I, I don't deny that, but... I think what we're saying, oh, we're definitely going to lose to this team or definitely do anything. I think that's kind of the beauty of this season is, you know, with no one had any practice time. You know, you never know who's going to be hurt or on the COVID list. And no one can play defense in the SEC, apparently. You can – I think we're looking at a bunch of coin flips. Uh, Bama's still Bama. But everything else – look, if – if LSU punches in a touchdown at the end of the game, are we thinking about this game differently? I mean, they'd still be two and one. They would have played bad, but it's like, yeah, well, you know, they got through. They had a gut check and they got through because they managed that fourth quarter exactly for that play. They burned up ten minutes of clock in the in the third in the fourth quarter. They designed that exactly so to keep the ball away from the offense. Their defense wouldn't have to be on the field so they could win it on that final play, and it just didn't work out. They managed the clock well. I'll give them that at the end of the game. That's what I'll give them. But, like, Missouri scored. They put up. Let me. I'm going to go check the team stats right now to get this right. But they put up. They put up 586 yards of total offense. Which is, ironically, I think less than they gave up to Ole Miss last year. But, you know, whatever. 
That's bad. Yeah, no, no one's they're not you know saying that it was good, but my point is that everybody looks bad. And for us to be sitting here, you know, week three into the season saying, oh, well, this is definitely going to happen going forward. I think that's just making way too early judgments about anything going on when we know pretty much nothing about anybody right now. I mean, is Arkansas good? No. They might be. No, they're not. They good. got hosed by the referees there. Totally. Hey, Auburn's bad. Totally Auburn's bad. Against, you know, Auburn. Auburn's obviously bad. Yeah, I mean, no, you're right. And I think a lot of these games are coin flips. But at the same time, well, one, I don't think Florida's a coin flip because I don't think they're going to be able to. I literally don't think Florida is going to not score on a single possession. I think that might happen. They could. Uh, I would not be surprised if Florida scores 60 points. I think that's a reasonable expectation for Florida to score at least 52. And I just I don't think LSU is doing that considering how bad they've been on third down. See, I don't, I don't think it's third down. I, I, well, I they were they were scoring forty two points, and then they managed the clock in the in the fourth quarter. If they just keep on rolling down the field, they probably score more points. But the defense gives up more points, so they made a decision, which I think was actually the correct tactical decision, to put the brakes on the offense and to start bleeding clock. Yeah, well, I mean, they just couldn't they couldn't give Missouri the ball back. You can't justify that. Yeah, that's exactly what the strategy is: keep the ball away from. Them. I mean, and it was a strategy they executed pretty well in the fourth quarter. It was just that they got a field goal blocked and then couldn't punch it in from the one because for reasons passing understanding, they forgot John Emery's on their team. You got to get under center and just – like I, I know that I hate – I don't think you should ever take a snap under center unless you're in the NFL. But like at that point, like even Oklahoma does it, just get under center and – punch in that yard if you can't get it if you can't get that don't get cute if you can't get that yard throw your hands up and say we couldn't get a yard don't get cute well you know once again part of it was that they couldn't they only had one timeout but yeah they also wanted to burn clock but yeah i think on first and second down they should have just gotten under center and it's not that great of the defensive line you're supposed to try and power over them qb sneaks work even from a yard and a half out they'll work yeah i agree they're one of the most effective plays in football for what they're asked to do. I don't know. I, I I certainly think moving the pocket and throwing on fourth down was a mistake. I think that at that point you run it, and if you don't get it, you don't get it. Because actually what I thought about a lot was the Tennessee game with the uh, millions of players in the field. It, it was very similar to that where you had – when you know after the flags were thrown and you know LSU thought they lost, they came back through on the one yard line. They have one more play, and everybody in the stadium knew it was going to Charles Scott, and yeah. he just ran it in there because it was one of those. There is no way I am not scoring this touchdown. Yeah. You know to you know rip off Bill Simmons. You know it was an fu play. It was like yeah, this is all effort. And I think honestly the thing I am other than just the defensive effort was terrible. But other than that, the thing I'm most irritated about in the game is that. With the game on the line, on the one-yard line, there was no one in the offensive huddle who's just like, I'm going to win this game right here. And LSU has always seemed to have a guy like that, mainly because we've always had good running backs. But there was no one who was, like, taking charge and saying, hey, I'm the guy. There's no way we're losing this game. Yeah, well, I mean – That's what they tried to do with Marshall. Yeah, Yeah. Terrence was that guy. They tried to do with Marshall. Yeah. 
I think I'm also wondering. I'm sorry, Max. I'm, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, even what you said about saying too cute and John Emery. Where's John Emery? Yeah, I mean, wait. last week has the has the game of his LSU career, 100 yards on what 15 carries, give or take, maybe even a little less than that. And now, granted, I worked, I worked the first half at, at my job, so I missed m- most of the morning. So I missed the play. Apparently, Emory got blown up on a screen pass or something like that. But yeah, the first yeah. time he got the ball was I think he, late first quarter, early second quarter, and he threw the ball behind him. And Emory had to reach back and just got absolutely destroyed. It, it was, it was a play that seemed like it was almost designed to get him blown up. And and that's all well and good, but at, from like that point forward, like he he's, I think we can all agree he's by far and away the best running back on the yeah. roster, right? Yeah. Why is he why is he getting two touches or two carries on what the final drive of the game? Like where's the 12, 15 touches? I I know Orgeron says. Yeah, we have three starter running backs. You don't have three starter running backs. You have three good mm-hmm. running backs, sure, but you've got a starter. His name's John Emery. You got to give him the ball. That's clear to me. I mean, you're not going to get a, a disagreement from me. Uh, I think uh, one of the things you pointed out in one of your pieces uh, was Eric Gilbert disappearing, and that actually does have good reason because he got hurt. Yeah, he got hurt as well. And okay. that kind of happened with Emery and – you have Emory and Gilbert both got hurt in the first half, essentially. I don't know if Emory got hurt severely, but he definitely got blown up. And he, I think there was another screen pass he got blown up on. So first no, two times, wow. he got hit really hard. Yeah, no. But Gilbert Gilbert had a reason. I mean, he was clearly, clearly hurt. Okay. Like I, said, I, because I missed the first half because I, I saw that Gilbert did ball out the first half. Yeah, he's but, yeah first quarter, um, he was unstoppable. Uh, I think I, I think he had like five catches on six targets or something like that. Um, he had a one play touchdown from what I from what I saw. Yeah. So that makes it feel a little bit better about not seeing two on the goal line in that last drive situation. Poster, it felt like I don't know if you would agree, but that last the last drive at least to me kind of felt very less Miles Eve, just kind of the way they just mismanaged things. Um, I don't know if that's too harsh for a word. I actually thought... No, I thought it was less Miles in the way of how well it was managed. Uh, I mean, I know Les Miles has his reputation, but Les Miles knew how to hide th- problems with the team. And what he did... And this was a very Les Miles drive to end the game. There was five minutes left in the game. He knew... They knew their defense couldn't get a stop. So there was no way they're giving the ball back. So there's, they made sure that this was the drive that won or lost the game. It was an incredible tactical decision. It was I incre- so too. It was very well done. You know, they made clutch plays. They drove down the field. Everything was perfect until they got to the one yard line. I mean, hats off again. Another after another loss, I'm saying this, but hats off again to Steve Ensminger, who did call a really nice game, and has continued to do a very good job at offensive coordinator. Yeah, uh, and look, if Les Miles is the head if the head coach, if we're on the one yard line, we'd probably score. That's that's it's so ironic, but Les Miles would have won this game. You can well not with that defense because they would not have scored. No, like Les Miles was much better at hiding problems. Ed Orgeron was is better at accentuating strengths. If that yeah, makes any they sense, don't, like, they don't have the lows. They didn't have the lows with Miles. yeah. Les Miles teams did not lose to lesser teams, or if they did, it was very very rare. It happened, but not more than other programs. Yeah, and normally when it happened, it was called a miracle. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I still wouldn't go back, but... No, because you wouldn't get the highs. He wouldn't have had 2019. I, I grant you that. But 
if Les Miles is the coach right now, if we're, if we're throwing shade at Les Miles, Les Miles would probably have this team at three and zero right now. Yeah, I mean, well, I, first of all, I don't, I don't know if Les Miles would have hired Bo Pelini. Um, well, he did the first time. Well, that's true. <laughs> but, that's true. But his last, yeah, his no, last I agree. Coordinator hire was Dave Aranda. Yeah. Who Dave Aranda needs to be subtweeting Ed Orgeron. If he, if he were Lane Kiffin, that's what he'd be doing. Yeah, but that's not what you know, David. I know, but he's—you got to think he's just sitting there, and yeah, like what's happening. And this is not to say that I would like to go back to Les Miles because I think with Les Miles we don't have 2019. He wouldn't have unleashed the offense like that. That doesn't happen. So you need Orgeron in order to get those highs. But this is the thing: in order to get those highs, you risk these lows. Yeah, you, you kind of do. I mean, I, I guess as we see now, uh, and it, look, that's not to say the LSU program is going to be Gene Chizik. I don't think that's going to happen. No, I don't think so either. Well, the, the, see, the, the big counter to that is when, when you get it is that that Auburn team was consisted entirely of Nick Fairley and Cam Newton, and the LSU team had like infinity players drafted in the first couple rounds. Like that's recruiting. That's recruiting and development. That is not an accident like Cam Newton. No, I, I agree with that. I, I would say the – I don't think it's a talent problem right now. You look at no, it, the no. offense is still producing. It's not the 2019 offense, but I think at this point we're all happy with how Miles Brennan is playing. Generally, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. We're, we didn't expect him to win the Heisman. He, he's doing what he, he's supposed to do. And the receivers, look, they're all on track. Uh, yes, yeah. we'd like to see Emery a little bit more, but it's not a talent problem. There. Yeah, if, if you had told me that – Miles Brennan would throw for over 300 yards in each game of the first three games and what at least three touchdowns each game I believe, I think, he, I believe he's thrown I think that's right yeah, yeah. And, and we'd be one and two I would have asked you what you were smoking and, and look you look at defense there's still a lot of talented guys on there I mean there's still major contributors from last year the biggest difference between this team is not the talent bleed even though that's some of it but that's not lose to Missouri I, that's yeah. you know that, that's what causes you to lose the Bama. The difference is is the loss in the coordinators. The, the difference is Bo Pelini, and yeah, yeah, the difference is Bo Pelini. Let, let's get into it. Let, let's let's talk about how much we hate Bo Pelini because God, he is awful. There's there, he does not have a single redeeming quality. Like he's not a good person. He's a scumbag, and everyone hates him. And he's just he has his defense going out there, and, and I'm just and I'm watching the tape this afternoon, and. These guys don't know what they're doing on any snap. They don't know what to do. Like, they're busting coverages on, like, a third of dropbacks. And when and whenever they have to play a coverage that is slightly complex, they blow it. Because they just don't know what their assignments are. Like, what were you doing during quarantine? And, and like, it's – I mean, I know practice time was certainly a bridge, but they had some of it. Like, what were you doing with that? Zach, want to defend Bo? That quote about we are so much better now on defense than at any point we were on last year, however he phrased it, I, I don't think anyone has ever had to eat crow faster than than that statement right now. I mean, first of all, Moscona, Matt Moscona points this out. I mean, it's just it's just a fact. That, that, that just can't be true with all the people that you lost. You lost all your linebackers. You lost – uh, a four-year guy, Richard Lawrence. You lost Braden Fajoko. You lost Tyler Shelvin prior to the season starting. You lost 
Carrie Vincent, Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton. You just, you can't be like, that was asinine to be, to, to say at best and arrogant and downright stupid at worst to say. Yeah. Um, and he, he's reaping what he's sowing right now. He and Aranda just couldn't see eye to eye. And they eventually, yeah, sure. Pelini's running more what, uh, what O would like to run. But it, it ain't working. And what? the whole four down, getting after the quarterback, kill the quarterback. While some of it, I mean, has shown up. I mean, Ali Gay has been really w- good. Andre Anthony, BJ Ojolari got a strict sack. He's uh, awesome. He's going to be the best. But at, at, at what cost? I mean, the secondary, like Max has been saying, just is helpless, it seemed like. The, the issues on this defense, I don't know how you fix right now. Yeah, I, I think truly don't. I don't know what, what the solution is. What's truly amazing is that on a play-to-play basis, the defense isn't bad. I know that sounds crazy to say, but like when they line up and just make us, you know, you line up there and a normal play, you know, you'll let four yards rushing or you'll let a five-yard pass play, whatever. Like they're not getting, they're not getting dinked and dunked to death. Basically, what happened is is they just have a breakdown so often. It is truly amazing. LSU yeah. has allowed 25 plays of 20 plus yards, which leads to the SEC. Are you kidding? Uh, yeah, 25. Wow. They have already allowed six plays of 40 plus yards. Uh, six. Okay, that's two a game. That's. Uh, that's I mean, look who it's against. Yeah, and like these are not explosive offenses. Yeah, they've played Vanderbilt. I, I mean, the. What's happening is they make a play, you know, maybe it'll happen on first, you know, maybe it happens on first down, maybe it happens on second down against uh, Mississippi State, it always happens on third down, but you never know when it's going to happen. But if they stay on the field long enough, they're going to give up a big play. Yeah. See, what I compared it to, and the reason this happens is, if, let's say, you have like a musical, right? Like a stage musical, and it's show, it's opening night, uh, and you are the lead and you don't know your lines you don't know any of the music you don't know any of your blocking and you don't know the choreography go put on a show what's gonna you can have you know ben platt and hugh jackman and laura osnes and Kristen chenoweth out there and they're gonna put up a terrible show because they don't know what they're doing it's not a talent thing it's a we are going to blow a coverage once a possession yeah. thing. Yeah, you watch Jacoby Stevens just watch a guy run past him. We know Jacoby Stevens is a good football player. We've yeah. seen it. And and it's also an effort issue. I mean – There is. There is a, but that's kind of like there are so many breakdowns that you tend to see the effort as the play breaks down. They're just like, oh, God, not again. There was that one play where uh, – it was on that little that little Texas route that the running back scored somewhat late in the game. Um, you know, that little where you kind of look like you're going to go in the flat and you cut back in. That basically uh, John – or not John Emery. Uh, Jacoby Stevens widened out to the flat to take it. And then when he cut back in, he just stood there and just walked behind him as he waltzed into the end zone. And Damone Clark was coming from the other side, walking behind him as he waltzed into the end zone. Like the symbolism – of number seven and number 18 walking behind a guy as he strolls into the end zone is way too on the nose, even for 2020. Yeah, that is definitely, yeah, this is a team that doesn't, 
they are not responding to Bo Pelini in any way, shape, or form. It's yeah. not like look, we haven't seen the team rallying in the media to like defend the coach. Because normally you'll see a little bit of that. Like I saw today, you know, um, uh, Zach von Rosenberg was defending Todd Harris because Barstool was going after him. Like they'll defend yeah. each other, but no one's defending Bo Pelini. Yeah. No, they defended Canada too. Yeah. Players like the players like Canada. And Canada sucked. Everyone hated Canada except for the players. Yeah, because at least they were trying something new. They felt there was a chance something could happen. Yeah, and they kind of they kind of liked it a little bit. And they they at least they at least somewhat believed in him. They are not defending Bo Pelini, and he is getting criticized way more harshly than Matt Canada because Canada had his defenders. Yeah, and it comes down to this: is this like how long can you hold on to Bo Pelini? I I don't know. I mean, it's. The only reason you could hold on to him uh, as the season progresses is pure, you know, pragmatics in a shortened season and that a transition would just add another thing. But at the same time, what's what's going to happen with a transition? Is it going to get worse? How exactly? What's worse? Yeah, what's worse than giving up literally the most amount of points you've ever given up through three games? I, I do think there is like a, a whole host of problems by letting go of Pelini. But uh, I think Poser, you and Adam were talking about this on Twitter with Billy. You know, if we all know he's out after a year, well, we're assuming he's going to be out after a year. What are we? What are we waiting on? Exactly. You know, why delay? Why delay the inevitable? I can see both sides of it. My thing is this: is that the big knock on Corey Raymond, the reason a lot of people didn't want to hire him, was oh, well, he's never been a coordinator before. We don't know what he would do. Well, give him the shot. Promote yeah, him up. I, I mean, it's it's a no pressure. On the job training, the season's—I don't want to say already lost, but the season's already lost. It's—it's it's, it's gone. Yeah, the season's already lost. So let him let him give it a try. At least gives, and also if nothing else, you help out his resume. Because I know Billy's big point is like, well, it's going to be bad in the coordinator community. They're going to look bad on you for firing a guy early. I think that way overrates how popular Bo Pelini yeah. is amongst the coaching fraternity. But. If you turn it into a way, no, we're giving one of the guys who's been on our staff for a really long time a better opportunity because we're going to get him on the job training. And even if he doesn't stay here, he might get another job because he can say, I've been at DC for a while. I think that's the best way to spin it because then you have done something to help out the coaching fraternity. Yeah. I, I Look, I think that's well argued and I think that's a good point. I think you also – you got you could find out – you're working with a, a Jeff Grimes situation who has gone to BYU and is running a spectacular offense right now. So if he, if Corey Raymond comes in and as the season goes on, this unit go, improves and he looks really good, you think about promoting him. Yeah. You, I don't know if you do it, but you certainly think about it. And I mean, it's, it, it, if I were in charge, look, I mean, I don't know any the Mac inner machinations of the program, but like I would give that a serious look. I would have done it this offseason. Like, if you were going to hire Bo Pelini, you might as well hire Corey Raymond. Well, I, no. But that that's, that goes to my uh, bias of I will always hire the up-and-comer over the retread. You always should do that, though. That's a good bias to have. I mean, retreads, are, retreads especially – look look what look what happened with UConn and Randy Edsel. I mean, I said it at the time. I was like, this is a retread hire. It's not going to go well because he's not going to pull the program out from that. And, it, and look, you know, it got worse. And look, and we are dunking on him, but Pelini used to be a very good coach. It's just yeah, that the offense, he was before the massive offensive revolution 
Right. And he just hasn't kept up with it. And yeah. he's from a different era and the era's changed. And I feel, I don't want to say I feel bad for the guy because he's a very hard person to feel bad for, but I don't understand why we, why LSU hired him. It, it yeah. definitely seemed, it, it was a very unexciting hire, particularly paired with Linehan. Yeah. I want to stay on this issue right quick. Um, it was interesting that Orgeron made such uninspired hires. I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but you know, after I would getting I getting a Joe Brady the year before, I mean, who who was Joe Brady before uh, coming to LSU? I mean, he was just briefly associated with the Saints and uh, and Penn State, correct, and William and Mary, but you know, he wasn't on anybody's radar. But he goes after and gets uh, Joe Brady, Dave Aranda. Maybe not an up and comer, but you know the very well respected Utah State to Wisconsin to LSU. Um, so more of an estab- he was established, but he was an up and comer a couple of years ago. It, it was just so curious that Orgeron, after making these creative, innovative, uh, off the wall hires, it just settled. Yeah, and even you, Canada you couldn't even have got didn't work out. Canada was a hire. It was a dare to be great hire. I, I think it didn't work out, but still, Blaney. it was. I think Canada was still in the same mindset of hiring an Aranda or a yeah. Brady. Like he was still looking for the next big thing. Yeah. Pelini and Linehan, it felt like you just won the national title. You can do whatever you want. I mean, you have a blank check. You, you won, you, you know, people are going to, no one at LSU was going to question anything that Orgeron did. He could have hired a guy that no one had ever heard of. And LSU would have signed off on it because. He could have hired George Munoz. Yes. Oh, he and, should be He should have. That would have been that would have been great for continuity. And instead, he hires two guys that I don't even think we wrote about it when they got hired. It was sort of like, meh, all right, yeah, these these guys. I mean, just Bo Bellini wasn't. Ex- I mean, Bo Bellini's teams at Youngstown State weren't exactly good. I mean, I get that Youngstown State's not an FCS talent hub, but like those teams were not great. Yeah, and I I have no explanation at the time for it like at least with Linehan you kind of have the Garrett Nussmeyer connection and you want to lock up that recruit and he has something of a reputation as a QB guy and he, he just worked with Dak Prescott and developed him from a raw college passer into an I NFL do. player and that helps but at the same time like and, and if you want to view Linehan as kind of a transitional guy fine that's somewhat justifiable but again I think you should have gone with Munoz I think Linehan is a much easier hire to accept if it was by itself. Like if yes, they just exactly. hired Linehan, you're like, okay, they hired Scott Linehan, whatever. Okay. Linehan paired with Polini is kind of what raises the red flag. It looks like a trend. Yeah. And it looks much more like a trend today because now Linehan, I think, has taken abuse for the Missouri game because of Polini. I don't think Linehan did anything. I, I know they went over 10 on third downs. But <laughs> it's worth 41 points. But he's going to take it in the shorts because – Polini was a terrible hire and Linehan got hired at the same time and feels like the same kind of hire. He's kind of getting, you know, hit with the same brush. Yeah. I mean, and I don't necessarily think that's totally fair. We will see. Um, the thing, my thing about Miles Brennan and the offense right now are, I still don't know if this is a Shea Patterson situation where they just rip apart lesser competition because they're, you know, got really great talent on the outside and he doesn't have to think. And then when they get to teams, <clears throat> that kind of forced you to get through a progression a little bit more and think and process, you fall apart. We've seen that happen with 
Patterson and Talamu back to back. So look, that's still TBD, and I'll have a better answer on Linehan at the end of the year. But Pelini, I have my answer. Yeah. Yep. The verdict's in. It ain't working. You keep him around for Florida just so someone t- someone else takes the hit for Florida, putting up 60 points? Yeah, that's not fair. I, Corey Raymond's first game being Florida would be unfair. Yeah, I remember when they uh, made Brandon Harris, made his first game to be on the road at mm-hmm. Auburn. Yeah, that was And it, I think it ruined Brandon Harris's entire career because yeah. they could, had a chance to play him at New Mexico State at home, and instead they threw him into the lion's den and yeah. – yeah, you don't want to do that. You want to give someone as easy of a first game as you can. And there are no yeah. easy games left, but, yeah, I don't think you start a guy against Florida if you can help. Yeah, Poser, I was a, uh, I was a senior in Tiger Band at that very game. You are talking about the New Mexico State game. Tiger Stadium's chanting, put in Harris, put in Harris, and Les didn't do it. And, you know, I posted about it on, on my Facebook at the time, but you guys wanted Harris. This is what you're going to get. This is Harris's first start on the road at Auburn. Good luck, kid. And yeah. what was it, 41-7, 42-7? I think, I think 41-7. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was a bad game. But that's what happens. You start a guy on the – you know, uh, he wasn't a true freshman. He was a sophomore, I think. But still, start a, a raw quarterback on he the road, you know, at Auburn. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, like, there are very few places worse for a guy to start his career. It ended up being the worst quarterback game I've ever seen an LSU quarterback play. I mean – no, you, you, then you never saw Andrew Hatch play. Or, no, or uh, God, uh, yeah, we can, you know, I, I don't want to make fun of I'm trying to remember some of the guys who uh, Jamie Howard and Chad Lou beat out. I can't remember the rest of that roster, but it was bad. We can't talk about Jamie Howard because we're trying to get his kid to play for No, us. I like Jamie. I like Jamie Howard. I think Jamie Howard gets a bad rap from LSU fans. He he gutted it out for this program. Also, his kids. Fans. Max, where, where are you on Walker Howard? I'm uh well I mean it, it very incomplete at the moment because he's just taken his first varsity snaps, but the early returns from the first couple weeks and I've been tracking both of them him and Nussmeyer through their first few weeks of the season and the re- early returns are good those guys are both killing it right now. They're both really talented, especially Nussmeyer who should be rated a lot higher than he is. Now uh, actually hold on does does anyone think there's any re- effect on recruiting this season? Because I really don't think. No, this season is going to affect recruiting at all. But does anyone else? Bellini, maybe. I don't know if guys well, want to play for Bellini. I think. I think it actually has a better impact on recruiting because if you're looking at like a, a Corey Foreman, a Mason Smith, they're looking at this line, going, "Hell, I can do this. I can play right now for. I can play over these bums." I, I think we're, we're all in agreement. It's not the recruiting class when you immediately win the national championship that's important. It's the one you get after the national championship class. Because, yeah. And right now they're they're doing really well. I think they're in contention for that number one thing. I think two four seven is still like top three or top four. And you know, we've talked about how does LSU stay consistent? It's by getting these top three, top four classes every single year. Alabama's been doing this for a decade. Clemson's been doing this for a better part of a decade. Ohio State, better part of a decade. LSU had last year and it was great. They had this year looking pretty good. But that's two. You got to keep this train rolling. And I think the defensive woes are actually going to pay dividends and lead to a Mason Smith and maybe even a Corey Foreman. And you got to go get some corners too because eventually Stingley's going to leave next year. You might lose spot. You might lose. I mean, who knows? But you got to start adding some secondary talent. You got to add some linebacker talent too because that, that covers up to be a little bit bare. 
speaking of linebacker talent, where um, I, I'm not throwing the towel in on Damone Clark and Jabril Cox and all those guys, but when it's when it's going that badly, like why not give Josh White a rep? Like why not just throw one of those guys in? What's what's the <laughs> rationale with that? You guys think or Sampa? You, you got to play Cox because you. you he transferred here. I do think there's that's kind of a future recruiting thing. He's kind of auditioning for the NFL. You you can't ruin. You can't put him on the bench. You know, you know he he came here with the expectation of playing and auditioning for a wider audience, and you owe it to him because you'll show future recruits you'll stand by guys. Uh, I think that's a non-starter with him. Demon Clark. Yeah, I, I can see you know having him sit for a couple plays. I mean, you're not going to totally bench him, but. I can see trying to push him down the uh, the depth chart a little bit to get younger guys in there. I, I I think that's exactly what this team needs to be doing is you know trying to find a place for younger players. I think that's the case, uh, especially with Damone Clark. I think he needs to needs to take a little bit of a seat. Not again, not a total benching, but like it's it's also a little bit of an effort problem from him right now because he was one of the two guys who just neglected to chase. Uh, that running back on the angle route that he scored on. And so, I mean, that 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 was kind of a problem for me. I, 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 you got I, to try something else, but at the same time, it's not a player problem right now. It's It really isn't. Like like I said, I mean, you could put, you could put kind of anybody back there, and if they don't know what they're going to do, they're going to bust coverages, and they're going to miss fits, and they're going to – but, the, I mean, the other thing is the tackling's been really bad, and that's – Coaches don't tackle. No, that's true, but part of that's effort. Right, yes. It's it's like 60% effort when you're a good player. And also, since we were talking about bad quarterbacks, just uh, this is the run of co- some of the quarterbacks we had uh, post-Tarmy Hodson, and I'm skipping backups. These guys actually all at least started a game. Soul Graves, Jesse Daigle, Ryan Huffman, Melvin Hill, and Brian Sparacino and Craig Nall. So that's what uh, Jamie Howard was competing against. So, yeah, he's he, he was definitely a much better player than the guys who are around. That's I don't even know who any of those guys are. They're they're bad. They were they were bad. Um Melvin Hill uh, uh, famously quarterback the Purple Pants game. Um uh, Ryan Huffman had a 32% completion percentage in his career. He only uh, threw 28 passes, but he got benched for Howard. Yeah, it's a Sparacino, 41%. Craig Nall, 44%. Yeah, we're talking guys who – and I actually kind of liked Craig Nall at the time. He just – and then they were eventually benched for the great Rohan Davey. He's what saved us from – Yeah, I mean, Rohan Davey was a beast. He knew he knew what worked. Do it to Josh Reed a lot. Yeah, Josh Reed just <laughs> – Josh Reed's the kind of person you because I I really started doing doing this in like 2010 2011, uh, so I still have to do a double take at some of Josh Reed's numbers. Oh, they're amazing! Yeah. As crazy as Terrace Marshall is performing right now, like his game against Missouri was probably the single greatest game I've seen an LSU receiver play, even above Jamar Chase last year against Vanderbilt. Honestly, yeah, if we're going to compare it to um, the great Josh Reed game against Alabama, I think it's bigger because it was Alabama and, you know, we won that game. Uh, but Terrace Marshall, you know, 235 yards, just a ton of catches. And 11 catches, three touchdowns. He, he did it a totally different way. Terrace Marshall's going down the field and making big catches. You know, he made 
just some huge catches. He's the one who got us down to the one. Josh Reed was pretty much the same pass every time. He would do that bubble screen. He would go three steps, turn around, take it. And then he was a running back out there, and he would just yeah. plow through defensive backs. It, it was a totally different style. He, he wasn't as – That's why he didn't translate to the NFL. Right. Yeah, that's exactly why, because he, he wasn't as impressive in, in the open field. He wasn't – he was a big guy, but he wasn't tall and lanky like you think an elite wide receiver is going to be. Yeah, I mean there's certainly a market for those – even shorter, bulkier guys now because AJ Brown is 6'1, 230, and he's legit if he ever gets to play again with the Titans COVID situation. But like, hey, they're moving the game to Tuesday. I'm sure everything will be fine. I can't believe they haven't canceled that game. Didn't they have another positive test? Yeah. And I, I just, what are they doing? Just cancel the game, guys. I can't. It, it, we are so lucky this virus doesn't have like a 30% fatality rate because we would be extinct. Just as a reminder, I live in Nashville, and I'm very scared right now. Oh, God. Yeah, Texas has been, you know, we, we've we've gone down a lot. So uh, I, we've been pretty lucky where I live. We got burned immediately in Connecticut. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, by New York. That was... We got set on fire right at the beginning. I got it, like, right away. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, we have now gone from LSU football to covid that's how well we have played in our first game. And we got to talk about how terrible quarterbacks were at LSU in the 90s, except for Jamie Howard, who I will defend. With that, let's go to the question bag. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Okay, let's break it in with something not football. Oh, let's go. Jacob Hibbard, buy, sell, or hold. Thanksgiving is the most underrated holiday. It has the best food and comes second only to Halloween in terms of weather. Bye. Are yeah, you kidding me? That's correct. Um, I don't think it's underrated. I think it's properly rated. I think everyone everyone likes Thanksgiving, right? Who hates Thanksgiving? I, I do think Thanksgiving. there's a weird lack of like, like where, where are the Thanksgiving movies? Like there's plenty of like Halloween specials and God knows there's plenty of Christmas specials. Why haven't we tapped into the Thanksgiving movie special yet because we have perfection with planes trains and automobiles <laughs> true fair yeah say you want to hurt me go ahead hey you can't beat john candy and steve martin i mean it's simple as that thanksgiving yeah no i think for years i've i don't know because i mean i really love christmas and i love halloween although i don't love it as much anymore um I don't love any, I don't love any of these things as much as I did when I was a kid, and that's terrible. It's better when you start having kids again. You you get your love back for like I love Christmas now. Little kids at Christmas are yeah. the best. But Thanksgiving, yeah. What's cool about Thanksgiving is there's nothing else but the whole holiday is hey everybody we're gonna hang out together. Yeah. And yeah. there's something cool about hey we're all gonna take a break in our lives. We're gonna have you know a really big meal, and we're all just gonna sit around and we're gonna hang out and. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Well done, Abe Lincoln. That was a good idea. How do you guys do y'all's turkeys? How do like do y'all bake it, fry? What do y'all do with y'all's? I bake. Suspect. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. The frying scares me. See, what we do is usually we do one of each uh, because we have a big family, but even then, that's still way too much. We have tons of leftovers, but we do one of each where we deep fry one and we bake one. Um, everyone obviously prefers the deep fried one, but yes. every year we're just convinced my uncle is going to set the state on fire doing it. 
Yeah, that's that's my thing. Is I'm just terrified. I don't trust anyone. I don't trust any member of my family with a deep fryer. Yeah, uh, it's so good. It is good. It's really juicy, and oh yeah, it's awesome. I'm, it's way better. I mean, yeah, I'm not denying that. <laughs> I'm just saying the risk of death. <laughs> with the way this season is going, I'll take. Yeah, it. exactly. Well, well, yeah, that's that. Eat that deep fried turkey. Yeah, no, eat it. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I will not say a bad word about the turkey itself. It's just that I don't trust myself to make it. So really, it's a problem with me. Is is it bad that we don't really have turkey? At our Thanksgiving anymore, we we just oh. go get a honey baked ham. Ooh, I do like ham as a we, ham is good. We ham do turkey with the ham. I'm a big fan of the ham. Yeah, we may get like a a little turkey breast to go with it, but my kids aren't really big turkey eaters. They they prefer ham, and so if I'm given the option of the two, I'd prefer ham as well. So that's what we've been doing the past couple of years. Yeah, but like it's tradition, and I'm I it feel weird for me. I couldn't do it. Without a turkey. Yeah, we do both. I, I like the ham, but yeah, turkey is, it's, it's Thanksgiving. We call it Turkey Day. Well, since we talked about uh, Thanksgiving movies, and, or the lack thereof, uh, let's continue with uh, another movie question. So Brad Falk wants to know, what was the first movie you remember truly scaring the crap out of you? Doesn't have to be a Halloween movie. Also, what's the most fun scary movie you have been to? Whole crowd going crazy. Mine was Scream. The theater goes dark, 50 beer cans crack open, and it was a roller coaster. Yeah, I got I got a weird answer to this one. <laughs> and this, it, it may be incorrect if I'm remembering incorrectly chronologically, but the most scared I've ever been in a piece of media, or uh, mo- more specifically movie, was The Big Friendly Giant. <laughs> okay. Because... because so a fir- what first happened was I read it and I got scared. And then we saw and then in third grade, it was, I was in third grade at the time and we had a uh, a movie day. This is at the end of the year when the teacher is mentally checked out. We did we screened that movie and I had to I I was I didn't want to be that kid who calls their mom to go home, but I was horrified. So basically my reasoning behind this is that just this kid is awake just this kid's only crime is being awake late and a giant just abducts her from i don't remember if it was a boy or a girl because i shut it out but like (laughs) abducts them from their house and then so the kid was like this is seared into my brain the kid was like am i ever gonna see my family again the kid's like and the giant's like no you live here (laughs) it's outrageous (laughs) it's horrifying so i was terrified i was so scared that I could never even touch the book physically again, and I had to have my mom come in and take it out of my room. I've never been more scared at a movie than I was in that classroom. That is that giant. That giant is not friendly. Zach, uh, mine would probably be Batman Begins. Probably getting an off the wall choice, but if you recall, Batman Begins, the Scarecrow is the main villain of Batman Begins, and like his whole thing is fear toxins and stuff like that. And it got to me. It psyched me out a little bit. Um, I typically avoid horror movies. I don't like the sensation of being scared. So I don't really have a good one for most fun I've had being scared. I did. Uh, I don't know if it counts, but like I, I saw Get Out. Get Out was good. Not, not in a theater, but like at a, at a friend's house. And it was, it was, it was fun. Uh, and that, that was more of like a unnerving, like, 
thriller kind of fear than a, than a horror. I prefer those type of fear movies. But Batman Begins really did some damage to me. It took me a little while to finally get through it all. I love horror movies. That's like one of my, yeah, um, we're, so this surprise. month is awesome for me. Yeah. I love horror movies. Um, the first movie I remember truly scaring the heck out of me was the original nightmare on Elm street. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was about nine or 10 when I saw it. Uh, I saw it at a friend's house. We weren't supposed to be watching it. And it is a perfectly designed character to terrify children. Because if you go to sleep, he will haunt your nightmares. And that's just, really well designed for not uh, preventing you from going to sleep ever again. So I, I don't think I slept for like a week after seeing Freddy for the first time. Uh, and I've been hooked on horror movies ever since. I actually have two for my favorite uh, performances live kind of thing, like, you know, experiences. One, it wasn't the entire movie. It was just a, my favorite moment in a uh, movie. We were seeing drag me to hell and about halfway through the movie, sometime right around where the lady was getting dragged to hell uh someone yelled in the front front row should have gave her the loan and (laughs) my (laughs) wife and i will now quote that pretty much in every movie we ever see uh should have gave her the loan is now become just part of the lexicon of our family it it was just a perfectly timed um scream at the the screen i was so impressed by it but for a whole movie going experience i saw the hand that rocks the cradle uh, at a, on a college campus. Um, I saw it at Virginia Tech, actually. It wasn't at LSU. And a bunch of drunk college kids rooting for somebody to kill the nanny. Big fan. It worked out really well. It was just awesome. Just every, Once again, it was like 50 beer cans. Everyone was just throwing stuff. It was almost the most fun I've ever had watching a movie. It's, it's a bad movie, though, but great fun. <laughs> I saw the original Poltergeist when I was 11 years old. So that, that pretty much does it for me. Yeah. Can't watch TV. Ruins that for you. <laughs> Jacob Hibbert, uh, speaking of the paranormal, says paranormal movies are the scariest Halloween movies. Have any of you guys had any paranormal experiences? No. Yeah, we... Uh, we my either my junior or my senior year in tiger band we went to nashville actually for the uh, sec basketball tournament and uh someone bought a ouija board and we played with the ouija board one night and that was spooky man i didn't like that but I, uh I, that was actually a very uncomfortable night for me but i, I gutted it out uh, i wish i hadn't but i think that was the closest that we've ever gotten or i've ever gotten to a, a paranormal experience uh, I believe in Ouija boards now. Did I mean, you... of course, I believe them because they exist, but you know, I believe in what they what they can do, what their what their power is. Do you guys see the uh, the tweet that kind of went viral of the dad who went down to his basement to the uh, the power box because his teenage daughter and her friends were having a sleepover? Yes. <laughs> they were up yeah. playing with the Ouija board, and he just starts flipping the light switch on and off. <laughs> It was so great. That's good dadding right there. <laughs> I when I was I did I haven't, but when I was in seventh grade, I thought I had one. So I was like, we were at any well no, this is such a Connecticut thing, but like I was we uh so we would go to like sleepaway camp at the beginning of the school year for like a, four days. 
So it's like a sleepaway camp. It's like kind of like a team building outdoor dumb thing that we did at my middle school that everyone got sick at and it was awful. But so we were all staying up one night uh, in like our little cabin thing. And there were like these weird sounds outside. Turns out it was just a kid who got out, but he got out of the room. But like a kid convinced me it was a ghost. And then a couple other kids got in and I really believed it. I really believed it. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had any genuine paranormal experiences. Uh, my hometown in Maryland um, is a very, very old town, for at least for America. Uh, if there's any Brits lift, uh, listening, they're now laughing at the idea of there being a very old American town. But it's about a two or 300-year-old town, and it's built into this like into a valley into the side of the mountain. And so all the newer buildings are against the road, but the older buildings are kind of buried in the uh, mountainside is the best way to say it. And yet there's a couple of places you can kind of, there's an old burnt out, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, girl's home. And that was really, really creepy. Uh, so I was terrified, but nothing, no ghosts actually atta- attacked me, but I'm sure, you know, people, we were trying to scare each other and said boo a lot. But I was actually not, you know, attacked by ghosts or anything. But at the moment, yeah, I was truly afraid of, you know, the burned out girl school. (laughs) That's a good band name. Burned out girl school. Yeah. (laughs) I I was just thinking Brittany Fox immediately popped into my head with with their song Girl School. But that's. 80s hair metal that I'm sure the younger punks have. I no was clue. yeah, I was going with a Red Hot Chili Pepper that Catholic schoolgirls rule, um, but it wasn't a Catholic girl school. It was just a regular girl school from like 1850 or something like that. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty creepy, especially since it burned out. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I I would hate to have a paranormal experience because it would it would be something I wouldn't be able to explain, and then I would have to then I I would basically become a pair, one of the ghost people at that no, point. No, I would go in total denial. I'd go the other direction. I just in the moment I would totally freak out. And then afterwards I'd be like, nope, didn't happen. Nope, nope, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I'd I'd see I'd have to become one of the ghost people. I would and I would <laughs> I do not want that. <sighs> well all the rest of the questions are football related, so do you guys want to dive into those? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's take a small sampling. We don't have to kill ourselves over this one. It was bad guys. We we know. Vinny Bartles asks, is there an offense left on LSU's schedule that you feel confident this defense can stop? No. I don't see it. We couldn't stop the offense that were on our schedule. Well, I guess we stopped Vanderbilt. They're terrible. Stop South that. Carolina? Maybe mm. South Carolina, but like That's honestly, the one that I thought of too, yeah, with South Carolina. Maybe, but like confident look if, if they get better by then yeah they'll stop south carolina um so maybe south carolina but like on the other hand i think and honestly you know who's really terrible auburn yeah i think we'd slow down auburn arkansas is only averaging 4.8 yards a play so maybe we could slow down arkansas and again but... if the team gets better by then which i mean they have to right then yeah maybe but like the thing is they're giving up 50 to florida they're giving up possibly 60 to Alabama, like legitimately 60-plus points. And they might give up 50 points to Ole Miss, who is bizarrely awesome on offense right now. Because Matt Ole Miss is always good at offense. It's just a thing. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like they 
in the later Hugh Freeze years, they kind of cratered against better teams. Like when I mentioned Miles Brennan potentially being a Shea Patterson, that's that's kind of what happened. And then now they went and they ripped Alabama up and down the field. Yeah, and they have, but they have Kiffin and yeah, Ole Miss. I tend to think of Ole Miss as consistently having a good offense. Yeah, they, yeah, they've had a couple years where they didn't quite have a great one, but Ole Miss over the last decade, they've been one of yeah. the best offenses in the SEC. It's yeah, not and, and not Hugh, weird to see them at the top. Hugh Freeze to Lane Kiffin is a pretty good offensive, you know, transition with with uh, Rich Rod in, in between. I like to call Bo Nix Nick like. Trubisky. Taken <laughs> off yet, but. I think we're going to get you're there. Not getting, you're, you're, getting, you're being a little hard on Trubisky because at least Trubisky will stay in the pocket for more than half a second. I mean, Bo Nix just doesn't like playing quarterback. He just gets out of the pocket the second he can. It's it's hard to watch, and it doesn't help that their offensive line is abysmal. It's awful. It might be the worst in the SEC. So yeah, so Auburn maybe, no, but I'm not I'm not confident that LSU can stop anybody right now. No, and also, fine, right. stop. I mean, hold under 30? Okay, yeah, Auburn. But hold under 40? <laughs> God, nobody. I can't I can't wait to get the uh, the confidence poll for this week emailed to me from the higher-ups at SB Nation. I'm guessing it's going to be like around like the 30%, maybe in the 20s. Who's going to have confidence? I, <laughs> who are the 20%? It's like, it's like who was the person that didn't vote Joe Burrow as the Heisman? Like, I got to know, like – Whose idea was that? Who would? Who are the twenty percent? Hey, look, there's there's always someone who wants to just go against the grain. That's true. All right, finally, Brad Falk says today was the first time I could have devolved in the same emotional state as my '90s LSU fandom, watching us play a Jefferson Pilot game, the old dirty windshield games with a or a matinee in defensive futility inopportune offensive mishaps, and complete exasperation. But I won't devolve, because I feel like the offense will keep us in all games and will only get better. We can score on any play, lest it be third down. So what is the biggest step the defense can take with the remaining games? Know what their coverages are. Like, I mean, know what you're doing when the ball is snapped. I mean, there was that one touchdown where Connor Bazalak threw to that wide-open receiver on a post route, and he just caught it in the end zone, and it looked like they blew the play dead, but they didn't, and it was a touchdown. Where So I saw a replay that I can't actually relocate. I can't find it again. During the game where the number two receiver, which is the second from the sideline, ran a quick out route, and so Eli Ricks moved to cut that off, which is basically in keeping with a coverage called palms or two read. Um and so he thought they were playing palms, and he passed off his post to a safety that was not there. And, I mean, like, there were, like, three or four of those, and similar things happened in the run game, too. I mean, like, know what to do, just just at the very baseline. Like, it, it, like back to my musical theater analogy, know your lines. And if you don't execute them well, you don't execute them well, but know your lines. And, and you know what? Teach them. Teach them their lines. I will say as the resident expert on 1990s LSU depression, the defense wasn't that bad back then. I mean, it wasn't great, but they, they were terrible because of the offense. We've already gone through the litany of quarterbacks. Um, I mean, aside from losing 58-3 to to Florida, but that was a pretty whole team destruction. You know, LSU was pretty good at, you know, playing pretty good defense. Uh, you know, that was the Gabe Northern 
era after that. You had Mark Roman, you know, that was a little bit later. But, like, LSU, even when they were bad, they were able to play defense. That's what's so shocking about now. This is truly new ground. An LSU team that can't play defense, I'm really struggling to come up with a team that's similar to that because even bad LSU teams were able to defend. Even bad LSU defenses are able to defend. Yeah, like, like I, I mean, I tweeted out today. I was like, remember we're talking how bad Kevin Steele was because he had 10 straight games where they allowed 20-plus points. Yeah. Well, we would kill for that right now. Oh, my God. We would, we would first of all, be 3-0 and comfortably with Kevin Steele. But, like, although, to be fair, Kevin Steele has improved dramatically as an offensive or as a defensive coordinator after leaving LSU. But, like, like, even the 2013 team, which was a really bad defense for, like, the first – half of the year they shut down johnny manziel in that game and were gangbusters for the last month of the year and even then like they were giving up 40 44 to that great georgia offense so they were okay yeah and like you look at last year i mean everyone points at the the old miss game where lsu gave up a bunch of yards while protecting a 21 point lead and still won and still won by 21 so yeah whatever and then played really great defense in the playoffs against the best teams in the country. So yeah. perhaps focus on the stuff that's important. I would say the difference between now and the nineties, obviously other than this team is still a lot better than like the 92 team, which went two and nine. The difference is, is that this is definitely a one-off kind of year where, and I don't mean that, Hey, we're destined to all of a sudden be great the next season. But, I mean, this whole season is just weird. More than Uh, any ever. It's the COVID season, and, you know, what? just have fun with it. Instead of treating it like the 90s where you're just like, oh, God, you know, who's going to beat us this week? And that was definitely the attitude in the 90s. The attitude should be much more, hey, let's see what happens this week. Hey, it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be 45 to 42. I wonder who's going to win. And, yeah, yeah, just have fun with this year. Don't Imagine if they beat Florida. Don't get yourself wrapped up in crazy over this season. Just have fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just imagining if they pull this out against Florida. Because remember, because you did bring up the Florida game after Troy, uh, but they did go play the SEC West champions the week after. And there was no denying that that Auburn team was actually kind of good. Yeah. So, I mean, if they beat Florida, that would be nice. But, like, just score. Just score against Florida. Just don't yeah, get, don't get beat by four points. I agree with that, but it's uh, and should Florida be favored? Yes, of course. But yeah, do I think the gap is this massive? You know, oh LSU can't win. No, I don't. I uh, I think that's the gap between LSU and Bama right now. But I don't think there's any other game on the schedule that's unwinnable, or even I would say think most games. The problem is most games are within a window of forty to sixty percent likelihood in either direction, and. You can be very unlucky and lose all of those. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't. I still don't think they're going to lose to South Carolina, but I said the same about Missouri. So, yeah, yeah, Missouri's bad. Missouri's like, and Mississippi State is bad. They're awful. Yeah, they're, 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 two points Saturday. Yeah, two. They're Costello. The they scored. Costello set an SEC record for single game passing, and two weeks later got benched against Kentucky. KJ Costello threw more interceptions, six, than his team scored points, which, again, I remind you, was two. That Bo Planey loss or hire just looks worse and worse as Mississippi State continues to crater. 
I'm not I'm not nearly the the film savant that Max is. I don't know how they fix this. I really don't. And you know, with like the 13 team, I remember it wasn't solely just switching from DJ Welter to Kendall Beckwith, but that was a big spark that kind of yeah. got things back on yeah. track. I don't know what they do. Um, they're playing their best guys. Uh, yeah, we all thought, well, when Stingley comes back, the secondary will get better. Stingley is doing his he's doing his thing, sure, but he, he can't help he can't cover everybody. And now he's tripping over chains and rolling his ankle. What's that about? I mean, yeah, it's about a weird year. He had an allergic reaction. Now a chain link is hobbling the best corner that Elshie's ever had. Yeah, twenty twenty. It's 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 all fake. That's the 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 mantra the entire Mets fan base had this past year because they were getting sold to Steve Cohen, and so we were basically saying like this: uh, Uncle Stevie is coming. The season is fraudulent anyway, so you can cut half of that out and say like this season's fake. Like Derek Stingley's, even Derek Stingley snake bitten this year. But I think that's the self preservation tactic. I honestly think, and like you said, I don't know how they're going to fix this. Um, I think it's going to come out in the offseason after Bo Pelini is fired, hopefully. Um, oh, that, he's getting fired. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. But I think it's going to come out in the offseason that they had nothing installed in the first month of the season and that Bo Pelini was just had a legendarily incompetent offseason and they had, had no idea what to do and they were busting everything. It's good. That's going to be an athletic story. I calling it right now so no brody. they can't really it brody write that story yeah, yeah get on it brody uh, that would be so that would be such an easy thing to cast this all onto. Uh, yeah there's definitely also the reason you're gonna fire bo plini probably at the end of the year because they don't like the hot fire in the middle of the year but maybe they will i still like the idea of giving raymond a shot but yeah. if they fire him at the end of the year it's clear that they're setting bo plini up now to be the scapegoat it's from this point on, Orgeron is just going to say, okay, well, my bad. I made a bad hire. It's all his fault. Hey, remember Canada? I fixed it. You know, I you know, brought in Brady the next time. So I think that's definitely – it's good to already have the guy yeah. identified who you're going to pin the whole thing on. So no matter what happens from this point on for the rest of the season, I don't want to say that Orgeron comes out of it unscathed, but he's already got his out plan. I'm going to be like, he, yeah, he's, that's, that's what is what I think is going to happen. And I'm going to fall right in line with it. And I'm just going to scapegoat Bo Pelini the whole offseason. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. I, I think he just says, hey, I made a bad hire. My bad. I did it with Canada and I fixed it. Also, Pelini's career is over. Yeah. At yeah. the major college level, it's done. Yeah, it was weird. Like, anyway, anyway, for him to go from Youngstown to LSU, it was a weird move. When he's going to end up like John Chavis coaching out of middle school. Hey, but, uh, to Poster's point, to Ogeron's credit, he owns up when he makes a mistake, like with a bad hire. He he says, you know what, that uh, Canada thing, my bad. Uh, every loss, he says, or every win, he gives credit to the players. Every loss, he says, don't blame players, blame me. So to his credit, he owns all these things. Uh, he He's he's going to be owning this whenever that time comes they let Pelini go. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like how upfront Orgeron is about things like that. He – he is okay with being portrayed as, you know, this moron where he's just like outside of Louisiana. Everyone's like, Oh, well, Ed just lucked into the national championship. And I don't think Ed really cares that much. Cause as long as the people in Louisiana know that he was a part of it, he's cool. 
But yeah, I think he's very good about saying, okay, here's the mistake. I need to fix it. Ed's been, even midseason, they lost to Troy. They immediately made fixes. He's That has been the best thing about Orgeron so far is his identification of problems and not getting stuck in a rut and fixing things as quickly as possible. And the what's so concerning about the Missouri game is it makes it seem like there is no quick fix, that this is something that's going to drag out the entire year. Because yeah. if it if it was just a small scheme thing or just a little fix, they would have fixed it before Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, they would have. But that, honestly, they would have fixed it by the, by mid-third quarter against Mississippi State. I'll, once again, I'll give you one game. Like Yeah, no, I will give you – and that's what I was kind of saying. Like I was like, all right, I'll give you one game. Um, but like now to this point, my expectations, any expectations I had, which were little after Mississippi State, are shattered. So I'm watching the rest of these games with have gone with less of a less you know emotional stakes and more of a scientific curiosity of how this pans out. Like I'll just be sitting there with a notepad saying, "Hmm, interesting," and which will be a lot better mentally. But I just can't wait to see how the – look, if Ed Ocheron turns this around somehow, then that's going to be amazing. Or if Bo Pelini just continues to get roasted, I'm going to kind of enjoy that too because I think he deserves it. Yeah, he's a hard guy to root for. I think he's, on, he's, he's the worst. Every Everybody hates him. He's like Matt Canada, but not even the players like him. I thought these players liked him. I thought – he was a player's coach. Is that not the case? Or was I that just so too, but they're not defending him right now. <laughs> Cause I, I thought it, his first time around all the LSU guys, yeah. the Dorsey, I, the Tyson Jacksons, I think you're right. Tennis think, Jacksons, they loved them. I think first time around, you're right. I, I think Pope Lini was, I don't want to say it was a different coach 10 years ago. I think football was a different game 10 years ago. Well, when it's working, everyone's happy. That's true. Like the personal, like his, his personal mannerisms, don't come into question when you're shutting people down as much as, you know, where people are trying to make college football a less hostile environment. Like people are still like, even the players are going to say whatever it's working, but when it's not working, his, you know, personality becomes a lot more grating. Winning is the cure for everything. Yeah. People like winning. Yeah. And it becomes, yeah, you won because he yells a lot. But when you're losing and, you know, this guy's yelling at you, you're like, dude, I know. Just chill out. And I think they're going to, like, they kind of, if he was as incompetent this offseason as I think he was and as we're seeing, uh, particularly with the fact that they don't seem to have anything installed effectively or uh, or effectively rehearsed, like, they know it's his fault. So I don't think you're going to appreciate getting yelled at by a guy whose fault this is. You know, he's probably chewing out Rex or somebody. He's like, dude, we've practiced, you know, to read like six times. Like, I'm still getting it. It's And I'm a true freshman. Give me a break. Yeah, I think but, when a guy like Jacoby Stevens is missing reads. That's a problem. Yeah. And that's and, and that's not Jacoby Stevens. Like, come on. I mean, Jacoby Stevens is. He's played like four different positions at LSU. The guy's pretty bright. Yeah. He's got football smarts. The guy knows – he knows the game inside and out. He knows – and he, also he knows the LSU defense. Yeah. And for well, him – That's right now. Well, that's true. But for him to just let a guy run past him 
and then just watch a you know touchdown. That's that says a lot because Stevens doesn't do things by accident. Right. I mean, remember how he rallied the team last year after the Ole Miss game? Yeah, he's yeah he's the guy, and you don't see that right now, even from him. And I think part of that is just because, man, there is just it's a beaten team right now. My new yeah, favorite conspiracy theory is that Jamar Chase opted out not because he saw that Miles Brennan wasn't it, but because he was dominating practice so much. He's like, oh, man, this defense, this ain't it. I got to get out of here. Yeah, well, I mean, he would be going up against Derek Stingley in man situations, so I don't think that would really happen. But like, maybe he saw like Racy McMath and Eric Gilbert just ripping people up and down. Yeah, and also, like, I think this is just the kind of season where you're just like, you know what? If I'm a first round draft pick, I'm not, I'm not risking it. I yeah. want to. What, what's, I don't think what's that Ricky Waters quote for who for what the team? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, look at you know we were talking about Dak Prescott before we started recording. I mean, your your career can end in a second. I'm yeah, not saying I, Dak Prescott's yeah. career is officially yeah. over or anything like that, but that was a very bad injury. And you know, players got to think about that. You know, particularly guys like a guy like Jamar Chase, who's clearly going to be a first round draft pick and has an NFL future to think about. You're not risking millions for the team, you know, for the, you know, rah, rah, the old college try. I can't believe he even thought about coming back. Like the second that there was like a pandemic and people were opting out, I was like, all right, Jamar Chase is gone. Like the fact that he even showed up at fall camp is crazy to me. No, I mean, I mean, you hang on as long as you can, but I, I think there comes a point where you're just like, I, it's too obvious that you have to protect yourself to go pro in a season that's just going to be weird. Uh, I think it, it, it's been apparent for a very long time that this was going to be, look, even Bama can't play defense this yeah, year. Yeah, they almost lost to an unranked team for the first time since like 2007. So, yeah, so things don't make sense. This is definitely the year to opt out. Unless you're a fan, then just chill. I just watch it for weird stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm basically emotionally opting out at this point. Like it's, you know, like what are the stakes at this point? Like what could happen it, it, unless they go like one in nine and lose every game by like double digits, and people are getting fired left and right. But which could I feel like could actually happen? But like, I mean, unless that happens, I'm gonna be somewhat. I, I'm on to. It's like Bill Belichick. I'm on to 2021. Should be rock on.